0: Welcome to Business Casual, the weekly podcast of Poets and Quants. I'm John Byrne, the editor of P&Q, and I'm here with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab and Caroline DRT Edwards, the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, and the former admissions director, managing director at NCAD. This past week, the first of what will be many MBA and employment reports came out for the class of 2022. Stanford was first out of the gate. And as you might expect, it's an incredibly positive report. Within three months of graduation, 91% of the class had accepted a job offer, up from 85% the year before. And the numbers were pretty impressive. The mean and median starting salaries for the class were 161831 and 158400 respectively it was the seventh consecutive year for increases in both mean and median median starting salaries and overall total compensation was up a little bit not a lot and when we say overall compensation we mean that includes salary sign-on bonus and expected performance bonus at the end of the first year The total is 231,849, which is a pretty nice payday for someone freshly minted out of a business school program. Typically, Stanford brings in uh, the highest numbers. Uh, Yeah, there are others that are way up there, but Stanford, I think given its location in the Bay Area, And the allure of that degree tend to make the most money right out out of business school. And that doesn't even include things like stock. And we know that 41% of the graduating class at Stanford gets either stock options or restricted stock. That can be 30 to 70% of the actual salary that they earn. Caroline, these are great numbers, aren't they?
1: They are very impressive. Yes, it, it's ah, uh, it's amazing that Stanford seems to always top those salary rankings, right? It, perhaps it's it's partly, as you say, being in the Bay Area, and, and a huge chunk of those graduates do stay in the Bay Area, right? And and with the high cost of living there, you know, they're commanding extremely high salaries, and of course, you know, they have a have the pick of um, recruiting opportunities. And I, I think also the fact that it's such a small class relative to some of the other top schools means that you know there is there is even more opportunity for them to cherry pick opportunities perhaps than at some some other schools. Given that recruiters coming to campus have so few students to choose from, right? And and some recruiters even have trouble at Stanford attracting. Candidates to to interview because a big chunk and I you know note this in the article so many of them are starting their own companies and, and pursuing perhaps um, you know non traditional post MBA routes as well so so it's uh, it, it's very tough for recruiters to 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 attract candidates from Stanford and I, I think you know they they really have to pay absolute top dollar to to secure them.
0: Maria, the other thing that's always interesting to me about uh, the report is that Stanford always puts more people into financial services than even tech. Even though we think that uh, Stanford being in the epicenter of Silicon Valley uh, would naturally uh, supply the tech business with most of the MBAs out there, tech almost never is number one as a choice. And that has to do with money
2: doesn't it? I'm sure that money certainly does not hurt the decision-making process, but I would say that if I had to guess, I would think that yes, a lot of Stanford grads go into finance, but I would suspect that a lot of them are tech adjacent in terms of maybe, you know, maybe a lot of schools have 30% of their class going into, into finance, but I would suspect that at Stanford, it's more geared towards venture capital, private equity, maybe early stage private equity or tech focused private equity, you know, mid you know, those sort of more techie focused investing opportunities. So I think not all finance jobs are created equal. So I would suspect that the, yes, it's a high percentage of people going into finance, but I would suspect that within that percentage, there is an uncommonly high percentage of people doing tech focused finance.
0: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. 15% of the class went into private equity, 11% went into venture capital. Those are higher numbers than uh, at Harvard, typically at Wharton, at Columbia, uh, the latter two known for their finance departments. So so even though these are they're, they're going into the industry of finance, they're very much involved in Silicon Valley technology and such. One thing that uh, Stanford does not do is indicate who their major employers are? I know that from the past because consulting, you know, would love Stanford MBAs, but that consulting tends to have problems recruiting Stanford MBAs. Yes, it's the third most popular field or industry choice of Stanford MBAs, but it trails tech and financial services by quite a bit. What? Why do you think, uh, Maria, that? That Stanford MBAs tend to be hard to recruit into consulting. Is it the atmosphere?
2: <laughs> I mean, I I think I think consulting firms are having issues across many schools because I think that the tech companies in particular have started matching a lot of those compensation opportunities while simultaneously providing a, a much better lifestyle, if that's what you want. So I I personally have have had clients who Originally thought they wanted to do consulting when they went into business school, and now they're at Google, Microsoft, Amazon because they're making tremendous amounts of money for the age that they are, <laughs> and and yet they don't have. You're not hearing the nightmare stories about the you know eighty-hour work weeks and all that craziness that you hear with consulting. So why why would I put myself through the consulting ringer if I could have similar compensation uh, if I go to a tech company?
0: Yeah, and the other thing is, you are soaking up in Silicon Valley uh, this whole culture and atmosphere uh, that people are on the verge of, of creating something that's exciting and new and different. And it, these are very innovative companies doing cool things. And even though we we've become less enamored of the tech field, given all the bad publicity regarding privacy and uh, and other issues at some of the prominent firms. I I think tech still holds a great allure for many MBAs, particularly those in the Valley. Uh, He's just surrounded by these exciting companies. The other interesting thing about Stanford that is very different from most other business schools is the percentage of the class that typically starts their own company. Uh, It's 18%, you know, more Commonly you'll find 5% of an MBA class going into entrepreneurship, not 18%. I wonder at NCAD what it would be. Caroline, do you know?
1: I don't know the latest number. I know it has gone up a lot over the past few years. And you know, when you look at the actual total number of people graduating from INCEAD, which is around a thousand per year compared to Stanford, then it's it is a substantial number. In total, but it's not such a large percentage as it is at Stanford, and I agree that is a, it's a it's a very impressive percentage. And, and you know, Stanford is known for that, right? A lot of people are coming to the Bay Area because you know they have that drive to start their own company. It's known as such a great ecosystem, right, of entrepreneurs, of um, opportunities to to get access to uh, to investment, to funding. So it's it's really the mecca i think for people who are attracted to to that i mean my my husband talks about it in terms of you know it's like being in in florence during the renaissance right it's like the place to be if you want to be at the forefront of innovation in the 21st century you know he's uh, very good at giving his spiel as a venture capitalist in silicon valley but (laughs) and but it but it is true to a certain extent right you have got this extraordinary ecosystem in silicon valley that other places have tried to replicate and no one has quite done it yet to the same extent so and part of that is largely thanks of course to, to stanford university and so that has um huge attraction for people who just have that entrepreneurial bug and and want to get started with something straight away. But I would say also at INSEAD, you know, in the longer term, the percentage of people who start companies or are involved in entrepreneurship is huge. It's like 40 50%. So it is a very entrepreneurial community, but not as many people starting companies straight out of business school. And I think part of that may be access to funding and perhaps also the, the debt that they've taken on during the MBA program, which of course, you know, they're looking to pay back and many people do that by taking on um, a corporate position, uh, you know, getting getting one of those big salaries with sign-on bonus, et cetera, to pay off their student loan before then starting their own company.
2: And, and if I could just jump in, I think yeah, as please. you guys were talking about entrepreneurship, that also made me think about maybe one of the other reasons why consulting does sort of take a backseat compared to tech at a place like Stanford is that, to be honest, I I feel that consulting gives a lot of valuable skills. But if you eventually want to become an entrepreneur, working for a tech company is probably going to be a much more relevant experience in terms of, you know, if you get experience building a product, if you get experience launching a product, if you get experience doing customer research and usability research and all that stuff that you might get at a tech company, that stuff, to me, very directly translates to being useful should you want to start your own tech company in the future versus management consulting, which you, you're going to get lots of valuable stuff from that too. But maybe your clients are large corporations that are doing grain or cat food or trucks, you know, part, parts for trucks. And so you're still gaining value, but you're going to gain valuable skills wherever you go. But if you know that you want to become an entrepreneur, because we know that Stanford does attract people who eventually want to become entrepreneurs. I wonder if the pitch is, well, if you come work for me here at Microsoft, you're going to learn all this stuff that when you eventually become your own entrepreneur in the software space or whatever it is, it'll be more valuable to you. Maybe that helps explain it too.
0: That makes total sense to me. Absolutely. Uh, The other thing is a lot of people want to go into early stage companies if they don't want to start up their own. And Stanford is in a perfect place to land a job with an early stage company, get stock and uh, move ahead, and that's another opportunity that draws people away from consulting, which, after all, is probably the single biggest recruiter overall of MBAs in the world. The other interesting thing in the and the stats, and this is worth uh, mentioning, is at a time, let's say, the last five or six years, when you have an increasing chorus of people who cast doubt on the value of the MBA, it's interesting to look at the salary trends. And yes, this is Stanford, but in many ways, Stanford is reflective of other schools. Just the numbers may not be as big, but the trend is there. And you go back six years and the total comp earned by a graduating MBA at Stanford was about 180. Now it's over 231. It's basically 232. It's more than $50,000 more than it was Uh, six years ago in 2016. And that tells you how great the demand is for the MBA, whether it be at Stanford or other schools, because you would see a similar trend line in other MBA programs. What do you make of this? Are you too jealous that today's MBAs are making this kind of money straight out of school, $232,000 in total comp in the first year?
1: Well, of course, Maria and I are making multiples of that now. So, <laughs>
0: we're yes. living the dream. Oh, you graduated, <laughs> so
2: living the dream.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's great for them, right? And you know, it, as you say, there's uh, employers are putting the money where the mouth is, right? Um, and you know, we occasionally hear uh, sort of in, famous people like Elon Musk and so on dismissing the value of the MBA but the numbers are very hard to argue with right it is the demand is there and it continues to grow and I agree with you that uh, you know that trend will be reflected in many other schools as well it'll be interesting to see what what are the numbers we see but I suspect it's in the same direction so good, good for them right it's a it's a great start to their post-MBA career and uh you know, and and a lot of them are, as we've said, you know, they they've invested a huge amount in their degree. It's very expensive to go to a school like Stanford GSB and forego salary for two years and incur all those living expenses. So you know, it, it's great to see that that investment has paid off.
0: Now, Maria, any envy?
2: I mean maybe a little, but I, I, I don't know. I also wouldn't want to be 28 again. Like, so I, you know, it all, it all kind of balances out. No, I mean, look, I, I just think salaries tend to go up because of a thing called inflation. And yes, the salaries are rising faster than they do at inflate, you know, general inflation. But I also think that, you know, there are, there are demographic shifts happening and I think there are economic shifts happening, you know, technology and startups, are definitely far more viable ways to make a lot of money now in terms of you know in, in terms of the the number the sheer number of opportunities to make a significant amount of money in tech versus you know three years ago when Caroline and I graduated. No, I'm just kidding. We, versus like versus like versus the many, many, many years ago when Caroline and I graduated. So it's great. It's great that there are more opportunities out there and that these these folks are going after them. I also think that the increased salaries are a function of increased salaries going in. Right. Uh, yes, I think, I think, uh, you know, I, I work with people who are getting into places like Stanford and their pre MBA comp isn't, you know, 150, 180, 200 Uh, in some cases, not all obviously, but in some cases, these are people who are already making a lot of money. And so if an employer wants them, they have to, you know, like Caroline said, they got to put their money where their mouth is and, and pony up the money if they want that talent.
0: Yeah, totally. And now I mentioned earlier this issue of stock-based compensation, which is not reported by Stanford or any school for that matter. Stanford does reveal that 41% of the class landed stock-based compensation. But of course, it's very hard to put a value on equity awards. So we went to a firm called uh, Relish Careers that gathers from MBA grads compensation data, among other things. And here's what they found. They found that basically a little over 12% of all the MBAs in their database, and this would include all the schools, elite schools, uh, second tier schools, third tier schools, about 12% of the MBAs actually get Uh, some stock-based compensation, either options or restricted stock. And that that 12% is worth over $30,000 a year to those uh, who get it. In fact, the average is $32,947, which is pretty significant. But what's interesting about it is that the people who did get stock-based compensation tended to get bigger increases in other pay as well so that the difference was significantly more uh, per year to them than just the 33000 in stock. And, and I'm thinking that while you know, those entry salaries in tech tend to be lower than they are in finance or in consulting, the truth is that the stock and then later on the increases in pay by virtue of salary increases and bonuses tend to be higher. What do you make of this, Maria?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I first of all, I just I just want to say I think it's smart that they do not include stock compensation in these reports yes. because I mean, you know, at least with a salary, a dollar is a dollar. It's an apples to apples comparison. With stock, it wouldn't even be like apples to oranges, it would be, I don't know, apples to zebras. <laughs> it would be like so <laughs> right because you have no idea if that stock is ever going to be worth anything and you have no idea like maybe one person got 10% of a company and someone else got 0.0001% of a company. But if it's 0. 0.001% of Amazon, isn't that worth more than a hundred percent of stock at a company that never goes anywhere. So it just, it becomes like this huge headache to try to even put a, a dollar a value on it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, look, if, if, uh, in terms of like how that, that makes a bigger Delta overall, I think, yeah, if a company is successful and growing, they can afford to pay people more base salaries and they can afford to give, to give more stock. So I'm yeah. not, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised to, to hear this. I think if, if you are joining a company, I think it's a great way to align incentives. Cause if you are joining a company that has a significant stock percentage, then it's not just about, okay, what, how am I going to maximize my own personal wealth over the course of the two to three years that I'm here? But it's also in giving me an incentive to maximize the long-term value of the overall corporation. So I actually think it's a smart thing for employers to do.
0: Yes. And, you know, we got onto this topic because a Google product manager with an MBA from Berkeley Haas uh, brought it to our attention and said, look, uh, at Google, my salary, well, 30 to 70% of my compensation is in stock. And so at, at schools like Berkeley or Stanford, in particular, and incidentally, At Berkeley, more than 41% of the MBAs get stock, according to them. It's like 43% for some reason, even higher than Stanford, Uh, maybe because fewer actually start their own companies. These schools are vastly underreporting their uh, compensation data for their graduates. But I totally agree with Maria. It's almost impossible to value uh, stock because it's all dependent on when it vests, uh, when you actually cash it in. Uh, and sometimes it can be worth little to nothing. Now, the other interesting data that came out of Relish is who is giving stock out to MBAs? Caroline, can you guess who's at the top of that list?
1: <laughs> oh.
0: It's a quiz.
1: Well, yeah, I, I would have thought it was the internet. What, Google, that's my best guess.
0: Okay, well, that's that's not far from the truth because is Amazon is number one. Amazon, Accenture, this is really weird, is number two. Google is three. Microsoft is four. Wayfair, which has had a big appetite for MBAs, but is really in the e-commerce game, is is next. With Adobe, Intel, Genentech, Oracle, and Airbnb, uh, all uh, players in awarding their MBA stock, um, which is pretty fascinating. I mean, overall, you just got to say, look, the pay for MBAs has never been higher. It's at record levels. Uh, Yes, some of this is inflation, but ask any person who works for the man who gets those two and a half percent pay increases every year, uh, looking at these numbers, how satisfied they are with their pay increases in light of inflation. And I don't think they'll be all too that happy. So there you have it. And of course, Caroline and Maria aren't envious at all, really, because they make so much money doing what they do that this is just a drop in a bucket for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, so we'll just leave it at that. I, I mean, so so I just think I just, I, you know, I, this this conversation reminded me of a, of a conversation I had when I was doing my summer internship in business school. I was at uh, Discovery Networks. And one of the people I was working with was himself an HBS grad. And he said you know, we were talking about his decision to go work at at in media, which is a, a much lower paying industry on average than, you know, typical than the average MBA. And he was saying, look, I think the way he thinks about it is that like all MBA graduates make roughly the same amount of money for those first, say, 30 hours a week of work. And ah. then it goes up sort of exponentially. And so his whole thing was like, I'm all he's about maximizing the amount of money he makes per hours worked, not total amount of money he makes, period. And I think that that's a that's an interesting way that if any young folks are thinking about it today, part of it could be looking at total compensation and saying, wow, if I go into investment banking, I'm going to be making so much money. But maybe if you divide out, you know, based on the number of hours you're working um, this is again going back to the the topic of why tech jobs are so appealing. I think this is why the tech jobs are becoming more and more appealing because you you might make less total compensation, but in terms of that per hour worked, I don't know something something to think about. Depending on what you value in life and what you want to do with it,
0: that's really true. Absolutely. All right, uh, very good point, Maria. This is John Barron with Parts and Quants. You've been listening to Business Casual. We hope that you are as eager as we are to see you on your MBA journey. Round one applications are due right around the corner. Uh, And we're talking about those career outcomes that um, make the MBA degree so valuable.